I'm Andrea Schwabi, and this is Product Knowledge, the podcast about creating and marketing products that improve people's lives. Most people think of their product as a thing, but we live in the information age. A physical product is one thing, but information about that product has its own equal and sometimes even greater value. Intellectual property is a huge topic in business, but in this episode, we're starting at the beginning with a top-level overview. There are several types of intellectual property that businesses need to think about. Everyone is familiar with copyright, trademarks, and patents, but intellectual property also includes trade secrets, industrial design, and even the design of integrated circuits. Erica Murray is a lawyer, a professor, executive, innovator, and tech startup founder. She holds a law degree as well as a PhD in chemical engineering. Intellectual property is Erica's specialty with expertise in patents, industrial designs, and trademarks. She's the Director of Innovation and IP Services at PCK Intellectual Property in Toronto. PCK is one of North America's leading IP firms that services large multinational companies as well as small to medium enterprises and startups. Erica Murray joins me and Grafo CEO Laurier Mandin by phone to make sense of what can be a legal minefield. So everyone has heard of copyright and trademarks and patents, and we're going to get to those in a sec, but give us a general overview of what is intellectual property. So intellectual property does encompass each one of those, so copyright, trademarks, and patents, but essentially intellectual property is something that uh, you create, whether it's an artistic piece of work, a brand that your company owns, a logo, or a patent, which focuses more on the innovation. So it's basically that you produce and you create, whether you're a single individual or a company, and you should, by rights, have ownership in uh, what you develop. What are the major types of, of intellectual property? Uh, so, I mean, I guess categorically, uh, copyright, patents, and trademarks, it could be divided in that way. Okay, how about uh, design? How, where does design fall? Good question. So when we say patent, uh, there are design patents and as well as utility patents. So. Classically, we call a patent what most people know is a patent. It has claims, it has a description, it's a complex document, uh, a design patent, or also known in Canada as an industrial design, is more uh, focused on the look and feel and shape. Of something so we can use as an example the Listerine bottle has a unique shape it's bulky um, versus the Colgate bottle has an hourglass shape so each one of those companies would have protected those shapes through an industrial design or also known as a design patent and it essentially protects the look and feel or the the mold the manufacture what was manufactured it's cool that you mentioned those because I automatically think of the design patent of the Coca-Cola bottle, right? And it's neat to know that that it that it extends well beyond the the soft drink market into mouthwashes and uh, and other products that can be recognized by the shape of of their bottle on a shelf. Right. So it's not protecting the functionality. So it's not how, for instance, the lid attaches to each of the bottles. It's purely the look and feel design patent. So generally, when companies are manufacturing. Uh, they essentially file their AutoCAD drawings, and that's what we protect is the production, the look, shape, and feel. It's not the utility aspect of whatever they're producing. How substantially different does a bottle have to be from another or, or another product packaging 
in order to qualify as a distinct distinct enough to be patented? So to be a design patent, uh, that's a very good question. And the answer is uh, in the design patent space, not much uh, distinct distinction actually. So that's why we say you generally file your design patents with us when you already have your final CAD drawings, because it's that that we seek to protect. If you go or if another company changes that shape um, outside of the edges, um, makes it slightly different shape, uh, there are ways that those companies can get around design patents more easily than a utility patent. So design patents have narrower scope of protection. I'm thinking through the eyes of, of one of our clients that's developing a new product, and there are so many different aspects to what can be patented. How do you even recommend that, that a client approaches going through that process, and should they be patenting the, the idea first or the function or the design, or should all of those things be brought together in, in a series of patent applications? So uh, it's basically then you come down to patent strategy, budgeting, and you know our firm, PCK Intellectual Property, really takes a focus on understanding your business and your priorities. So if you are manufacturing and you have a unique shape and feel to your product, so you know let's use just Listerine because it's easy for everyone to conceptualize. If you are Listerine and your bottle is on shelves and you know it sits on shelves and it's very distinct than the bottle next to yours and you wouldn't want anyone having a shape like that, first priority and you're you know a more simple consumer product, the first priority would be filing your design patents. Very importantly, design patents, unlike utility patents, number one, are very cheap to get compared to utility patents. So to, to, to file a design patent, for instance, in Canada, we just require your AutoCAD drawings and it's like $1,500 uh, to get that protection if it's approved. So if your product is focused on the mold, the design, the look and feel, uh, and you wouldn't want anyone coming uh, and copying that, then it would be very important to file that as a priority. If your product is more innovative and focuses on the functionality, so we'll use just a simple, the cover. So if you've created a new type of cover that clips onto various bottles in various industries, clipping element that you seek to protect, then we would focus on filing a utility patent. But to answer your question, it's what is your business? Where are you making the money? And what can you uh, prioritize and afford to protect at the time? Yeah. And what what are the most important things to protect, I would presume, right? Because the design patent may, if it's not protecting the, the utility, that may not be the most important thing to protect if, if someone just has to redesign it and take your great idea and, and you know, switch it around 30% visually and, and, and rip it off. Right. So, again, it comes down to, like, what market are you in? Uh, where, where are you manufacturing? Where are you producing? So, in the design or the, you know, manufacturing space, it's also very important for design patents that you haven't had a public disclosure. So, oftentimes, we see clients... Uh, you know, they go over to China, they get everything manufactured, they come back, they start selling. 
something becomes unique uh, in the marketplace about the look and feel of that manufactured product. They want to get a design patent. And quite frankly, it's too late because they've already had that public disclosure. Had they sought advice and, and kind of a strat IP strategy early on, they would have realized, oh, we should be filing our AutoCAD drawings and getting a design patent before, you know, we even go to China and start the manufacturing process. Well, and that, that brings us to the next question, which is really why, why is managing or controlling intellectual property important? Like, what are those big pitfalls if you don't? What are the risks? Yeah, so I mean, it's it's like anything. Sometimes hindsight is always twenty twenty, and and you learn as you go uh, as a, as a you know a, a new time company, right? Uh, if you've had five companies, and, and then you know all of this, right? So, um, really, you're right. They're important because they not only set your business apart from competitors, but they block people out. They can be sold, licensed, and you know they they ultimately provide you with that that revenue should you uh, be acquired. Um, but it protects people from infringing on your intellectual property. So going back to the simple case of the bottle or the functionality, having a unique type of, of capped clip on a bottle, uh, it would block out competitors, uh, stop them from using, making, or selling. Uh, you could earn, earn possibility earn royalties or licensing. So once you have issued patents, if a company comes along and, and wants to use your product, they can't just simply use it. They would have to obtain a license from you, right? Um, you can also help with like strategic alliances. So partnerships, right? If you don't own your IP, then no one's going to be interested in, in, in taking you seriously because essentially they could just do it themselves. When you own your intellectual property, then and then you have stakes in the ground. And when you sell uh, your business, that becomes part of your valuation or your portfolio. Uh, they're intangible assets, but they definitely go um, within your company as, 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 as a value or an asset on your sheets. So, I mean, it sounds like you're saying, I mean, ultimately, it, it doesn't sound like this is a size of business issue. You know, if you have a big business, it's not like intellectual property is more important because if you're a small company starting up, your intellectual property can form the foundation of the growth for your business. Yeah, uh, certainly, right? I mean, it, there's less and less, say, storefront. You know, if you're starting a, uh, a business where you're a convenience store. So, I mean, maybe you have a trademark or a brand, a unique business uh, name for a convenience store. But generally, most businesses that are starting up these days uh, have some elements of novelty uh, to their business, to their business model, to their branding, that should be protected. Now, we work with multinational companies as well as SMEs or startups. And of course, when, it, when a startup is, is getting off the ground, it, it doesn't really make sense to file intellectual property uh, up the yin yang, so to speak. Uh, but it is definitely advisable to have it on your roadmap to know, okay, when I reach this stage or when I have this type of innovation or when people start knowing my brand, my trademarks in the marketplace, it's certainly time to start uh, protecting those assets a part of your business. Can you give us an idea what uh, what a patent strategy might look like for a startup business that has a physical product and they're thinking they're going to launch it in one country, let's say Canada, but long range they're imagining that this product might sell worldwide? How should they 
uh, should they approach that? Because they don't have a huge budget for IP protection, and yet they're at, at significant risk, I'd presume. Right. So in the consumer marketplace, um, like we've talked, if it's manufacturing, the first thing generally, you know, that what they do is they is they design and then they get, you know, customer reviews and experiences and they do that whole discovery element. So the first thing really would be a design patent once they have that final product uh, that they're about to go manufacture and bring to market. So first thing would be considering in the in the manufacturing space, the consumer product space would be design patents. Okay. So now IP strategy would look something like this. Okay. Uh, how many products are you producing? How many various moles do you, do you consider that this is your final version? How many more versions are you coming out with? Uh, what is your current, uh, you know, revenue stream, if any, uh, perhaps do an initial filing once you get a revenue um, or an ROI of a certain amount, maybe 20, 30,000, then you should be considering uh perhaps a utility patent filing, especially if there's anything innovative about your product. So just because you're manufacturing something doesn't mean there's no functionality there, right? So the first step in the utility patent process is filing a U.S. provisional patent as part of your strategy. You would file the U.S. provisional patent and then you have a year to focus on your business and the development and growth before we actually even have to formalize that utility patent application. And then thirdly, it would be looking at your branding and your trademark. So oftentimes companies start up. Um, I'm not saying it's not important to file your trademarks right away. It can be. Uh, but generally, people actually change their names, change their logo, change their design. So the good time to file your trademark would be, you know, once you have that final logo, that final slogan and designs and you're stamping on your pro stamping it on your products and people are starting to know your name and you don't want anyone else in Canada, uh, for instance, or the U.S. or anywhere in the world to use your trademark. You're listening to Product Knowledge, the podcast about creating and marketing products that improve people's lives. So how do those registrations work going into other countries? I know with patents, there's something, is it called a PCT? Right. So all, uh, and I should be careful here, copyright's a bit different, but both utility patents, design patents, and trademarks, the three elements we're talking about here today, they are what we call IP rights, which are uh, need to be obtained jurisdiction by jurisdiction. Now, without sounding like a lawyer, that means that you need to file in each country. So there's no such thing as a worldwide patent or a worldwide trademark. So each government has its own patent you know, system, and they're all very much the same. But if you want to get patent protection or trademark protection in Canada, we need to file in Canada for you. We also then, if you want to go to the U.S., we need to file in the U.S. You asked about PCT, okay? So PCT is a means in which you enter your utility patent national phase, meaning you're going to, you plan to enter more countries than just say Canada and the U.S., so you're going PCT. Now, oftentimes people say, 
oh, I have a worldwide patent, it's a PCT. There is, again, no such thing as a worldwide patent. When you go PCT, you still need to pick your country. So for instance, you go PCT and you want to do Canada, US, uh, some countries in Europe, as well as Japan and China is generally what we see. Fantastic. You you answered all the questions I was kind of rolling into that before I could get to them, and, and, and you did it very smoothly. That was wonderful. Are, are there any are there any specific industries or business segments that should be more preoccupied or be preoccupied with uh, intellectual property? I mean, it's no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say any. I mean, what we see a lot of is uh, medical devices, a lot of machine learning, electronics cosmetics, uh, in the manufacturing, it could be rubber composition, tires, uh, nanotechnology, uh, software, telecommunications, it, it really doesn't matter, oil and gas, uh, it, the list really goes on. I think uh, each industry, though, would be more prone to, say, file utility patents uh, and very complex utility um, patents, say, in the, in the software space, as an example. Um, a lot of other industries may be focused uh, more on their branding or their trademark. So uh, if they are an online marketplace, as example, uh, they may have a lot of clever branding and marketing that they would seek to protect, but there may not be nothing there on the patent side. So then we would focus heavily on their trademark protection. Let's talk for a moment about copyright. Imagine that, I, I and copyright is something that, that we don't have a, a copyright protection office, and as far as I know, there isn't a formal process that, that's typically um, followed by, by brands when, when, let's say, I've got content I've written for a client's website, and we've got a lot of really innovative wording in there, and they've got a competitor that keeps on knocking off and, and taking their wording and, and almost copying and pasting it into their own website. What, what can someone do to protect that kind of thing? <laughs> they should focus their energy elsewhere. I don't know. It's the, the reason is, I mean, it's such a vast uh, world out there and how base. Okay. So how copyright works and we don't do a lot of, yes, we will do the work, uh, but there isn't uh, a lot of copyright uh, work to be done. And the reason is because as soon as someone produces, publishes, so a book or a painting or content written on a website, that author creator is considered the copyright owner just from making it. They have quote unquote protection, even without filing it with the government or paying the lawyer to file it or help them with the copyright aspect. They have protection in just producing the work of art and they have that protection for life plus 50 years of the author. So that's a long, long time they have protection. The element that you're getting at is enforceability. So are you really going to quote unquote sue someone for copying paragraphs off your website? Now uh, you could, but that would cost you, you know, time, resources and money and probably your money should be better spent focused on your business or elsewhere. It's a different scenario. Uh, so I mean, the, the painter who originally did the, the work of art, the Mona Lisa or something like that. If you produce something that's or a, a book and it's a top seller, then, of course, it makes sense then to start enforcing your copyrights and, and suing people. Right. And we can send cease and assist and all of that kind of 
stuff. But mainly our work is in trademarks, so the branding, utility patents, and design patents, because copyright, you have the rights, very difficult to enforce. Um, and the value or the business return on suing people is, is just not there unless you have something extremely amazing that you've produced. So would a, would a wiser approach in the case of a website, for example, be to register certain taglines and, and snippets of text as trademarks, and then you have something that, that is more defensible? Yes, I mean, uh, yes, so like your branding, your logo, snippets of text, I just don't want to, not all snippets of text like would be registerable or would make sense. Uh, slogans, uh, for trademarks, you can even protect the smell. So in the perfume space, for instance, if there's a certain smell associated with your product or sound, so the line that roars at the beginning of the movies, that sound is a trademark in and of itself. So focus on like the, the big value that you wouldn't want someone copying. Yes, e- even colors when you think of Tiffany's or Burks, I believe, you know, those colors are registered trademarks. Exactly. So it's when consumers in the marketplace really start to become, uh, you know, love your brand, love everything about it, know it as you, then, I mean, you should have already filed and protected, but definitely should be considering it. What? So where do, where do companies start? So I have a product that I'm thinking of getting, you know, getting taking it to market. Where do I begin with intellectual property? So again, it's, you should consider it. I mean, where do you start if you're just day one? I always say start on how do you make money? (laughs) So if you can't figure out how to make money, you don't have a viable business, (laughs) right? right? So, uh, So start with figuring out how to make money. Once you're making money or once you, you know, are on the trajectory of making money, then you would start by, uh, you know, doing potentially a trademark search. So All too often, we see people choose names for their business or for their products. So if I'm selling hamburgers, I do not want to come up with a name with hamburger in it, okay? But believe it or not, people will do this, okay? So having an understanding of how you pick your name and your branding of your products would be step one. So your trademarks and your branding strategy. Step two would be, Again, once you focus on your business, if you've solved a problem, so you go to manufacture, you go to create a medical device or cosmetics, it doesn't matter. Usually you're innovating, otherwise what's new about your business. So when you're doing that innovative process, I encourage people to keep a journal, an innovation journal. And they essentially, through that journal, realize, wow, the past two weeks, we've created XYZ and this was very difficult to create because it, it didn't exist. We didn't know how we were going to do it or accomplish it. And that's where the IT lies. So you keep that journal and before you have a public disclosure, so before you have a sale uh, or before you go make a big presentation or a pitch to investors or generally you should be filing and protecting uh, your IP because only Canada and the U.S. have that one-year grace period uh, where you can have a disclosure, but the rest, most of the rest of the world, once you've had a sale or what's called a public disclosure, a presentation, an offer for sale even, the governments in the rest of the world consider that you let your IP be offered to the world, therefore you lost your rights. So for instance, you can't get protection in China, a massive market. So it's in the public domain at that point, and, and 
just because you've you've talked about it or, or published it? Exactly. Now, you know, to have a general idea of something and, and loosely talk about it uh, likely doesn't constitute a public disclosure. But if you got up somewhere and you showed drawings and how you would do it, uh, that's a public disclosure. Uh, it, the law is very clear now that even an offer for sale. So there's been a lot of, you know, there's a company who came up with uh, very unique Christmas tree lights and they hadn't yet filed their patent, but they went to a trade show and they had their Christmas tree lights strung all over a Christmas tree there. And afterwards they went and, and filed their patent. Well, another company um, tried to invalidate their patent a number of years later and Oftentimes, it's issues like this that come up a number of years later, and their patent was invalidated because they found at that Christmas show, um, that trade show, the Christmas lights were shown and offered for sale, and therefore, they didn't have rights to the intellectual property, and their patent was invalidated. So that's where having a non-disclosure agreement could be really helpful, right? Where you're not going to talk to anybody about your new idea until they've, they've signed and agreed that... Uh, not to disclose it. And that also gives you some evidence that, that you're not releasing this idea in the public. Correct. Yeah. So before you even, and we see a lot of mistakes happen like this, where manufacturing agreements don't have appropriate IP clauses and they don't protect the innovator and the company. And essentially it's view, it could be viewed at law as having a public disclosure. Now you can't go to a trade show and ask everyone to sign NDAs. It just wouldn't really be feasible, right? So, I mean, we get clients ask us all the time, like we need NDAs. Um, it's sometimes easier to just file your US provisional patent application and not to worry about having NDAs. So file the application before you talk to anybody about it, before you start having those discussions with friends in the bar, because there's no real clear point at which you've made, you know, you've crossed that line from from the size of the group you've been telling to to it being a public disclosure. Correct. Now, usually when you're talking with friends in a bar, it's you don't really have a business or the innovation yet. So sometimes you know, business owners or inventors do come to us at that too early of a stage where they, you know, oh, I have an idea where I'm going to make uh, a new type of, of uh, vacuum and the vacuum is going to hover and not touch the ground. It doesn't matter. But that's not enough for us to really uh, file something for you, right? Like we would need to understand how is it going to hover the ground and what is, you know, what is going to be the technological innovations here of this vacuum, right? So if you're just talking to your friends at the bar about the concept of what your business is going to look like or your product, uh, that's much different than having, say, the technological advantages uh, already figured out. Once you have that, then yes, we should be looking at protecting it. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. So at what point is the right time? Let's say if I if my my process is going to take me from the idea to maybe some sketches, um, to some more detailed drawings, to a prototype or three D renderings. At what point do I kind of get to to the place where I should be taking this to my IP lawyer and 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 starting to actually pay for it? So I think at the point, and, and there's no clear answer here, right? And I don't want this to be taken as, as legal advice uh, per se, right? So this is just general information to everyone. Uh, and it's case by case. I think all 
patent lawyers or most would be happy to have a conversation, even the earlier, the better, right? And they'll, they, I mean, most professionals should and ought to tell you that it's, it's too early and that, you know, this is what you need to do and come back. But if you're at the, at the stage of, um, basically you have something to disclose to the world that your competitors would find valuable and innovative, then you definitely should be filing it. So when you get to the point that you have an idea and it looks like it might be something, that's when you call Erica? <laughs> I would say that it's beyond a, a something, but yes, uh, call me earlier than later and I'd be happy to have this discussion uh, to kind of see where, where the company is at and uh, you know what, what are the next steps. That's it for this episode of Product Knowledge. Special thanks to Erica Murray for joining us and really helping clarify the issues around intellectual property. You can catch us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Graphos Canada. You can also visit our blog at blog.graphos.ca. And we'd love to hear from you. Subscribe, like, or review. Share the podcast with a friend or colleague. You can reach us at productknowledge at graphos.ca. Product Knowledge is the podcast about creating and marketing products that improve people's lives. I'm Andre Schwabi.